Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that makes self-assessment and VAT easy. They've been making tax digital for years. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter Leif Kendall. Things were terrible at work. You know, what do I do? What do I do? Like, I really want to go freelance, but I'm about to have a baby and a bit scared. Actually, I was more than a bit scared. I was terrified. I think, actually, one of the difficulties with a group or kind of an endeavor like pro copywriters is that it's so big, you're never done. You know, there's always something else you could do. Being freelance is, is of course, not necessarily secure, but at least you know what's going on. You know, when you're having a, a good spell or a, or a bad time and you can do things to correct it. Yes, there is Leaf, who I've been really looking forward to chatting to. If you're a copywriter, particularly in the UK, you've probably heard of him. If not, probably you've heard of pro copywriters. And Leaf is the guy behind that. We'll be talking about that and his own freelance story very soon indeed. Leaf joins a whole host of stories at beingfreelance.com. Remember, it doesn't matter what you do for a living because it's all about the being freelance. So do check out the guests who maybe aren't the same as you, you know, completely different industry or whatever. Really interesting to hear what they do and how they do it as well. All of them at beingfreelance.com and... For July in the shop, you can buy the Being Freelance mug and 40% of the sale will go to Alzheimer's Research UK. Details as to why I'm doing that, if you've not heard about it already, can be found online. But yeah, basically, if you've been thinking about buying the mug but putting it off, now's a great time to do it. That is happening during July 2019. Obviously, you might be listening to this in the future and that deal has passed. So that's at beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's crack on and chat to this week's guest. And that is freelance copywriter Leif Kendall. Hey, Leif. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Yeah, I think uh, as with so many good tales, it starts with a bully. Ooh. Yeah, so I had a, I had a job, which I, actually, I, I'd like to say it was a, a good job and I liked it, but it was a terrible job. <laughs> and I, I was only marginally kind of content in that job. But the thing that t- really tipped me over the edge was that I had a manager who really didn't like me and and she was a bully. Looking back, I do feel like I earned some of her <laughs> wrath because I was quite horrible at the job. <laughs> and so I was, I was already a bit sort of disengaged and then her being a, a, a sort of demon it just meant I, I was really keen to escape. So I was looking for exits. I also, around that time, my, my wife was pregnant it was our first child so there was kind of a lot going on I I just had this kind of um, sense that things needed to change and also in this job that I was doing I was mostly shipping stuff from China that was my real job but I wasn't very good at that bit but on the side they'd been asking me to edit copy that the the uh, sort of the product development team had been putting together Uh, and I loved doing that and because I'd always been kind of a, a you know an avid reader and a bit of a wordy person and I'd been writing fiction in my spare time and always just really obsessed with words and language 
And so, yeah, the fact that part of my job involved working with words had really been a revelation to me. But before I'd done that, I hadn't even heard of copywriting. I didn't even know that was a thing. I knew nothing about it. So once I discovered this, I got very excited and, and read lots of books and, and kind of gradually recognized a way out of the situation I was in through copywriting. Yeah, so I had this kind of uh, weird kind of coming together of forces, <laughs> some pushing me away and, and some things, you know, discovering something new that I was really attracted to and really interested in. Yeah, but it was, it was kind of weird because when I looked into copywriting, you know, I was thinking, what the hell is this? How do I do it? How can I do this uh, as my job? And all the advice I found back then was relating to the advertising world. And there seemed to be a clear route into advertising, which involved doing a degree and then doing an internship where you'd work for quite a period of time without money. And then eventually, if you were lucky and you had a good portfolio, you could get a real job. But then then it would have to be in London and you'd have to work silly hours and you'd have to give up your social life. And being 30 with a kid on the way, you know, I couldn't work for free. I couldn't go to university. You know, these are all things I just couldn't do. So I started to think it was a, you know, there was no real route into it. But I happened to be living in Brighton at the time. Um, and in Brighton, there's a big kind of digital uh, tech scenes. There were loads of web designers and developers around. And I started talking to them and found out that actually they need to copy for websites. Yeah, so I think I, I, it, that's <laughs> kind of rambling, but I think that's how I became a freelancer. So it was the fact that you couldn't go and do the traditional into advertising copy route that you went and found found your own so who were your first clients were they those web web companies yeah i mean i think the very first couple i did a couple of things for free because i was really interested in doing this and i wanted to kind of test you know whether i could actually um, write copy for other people so i was just telling everyone i knew you know this is what i'm interested in it's this new thing do you have a business do you have a project can i help you know, just kind of looking for anyone who needed help with marketing and promotion. Um, and I found like a friend of a friend who was setting up a t-shirt business and she needed some help with copy, didn't really know anything about web marketing. And, and then I found this other guy, again, a friend of a friend who had his own, I think, a video marketing business. Yeah. So I managed to find a couple of uh, people that wanted some help. I offered to help them for free. And I think I'd done those projects and I'd done a lot of kind of writing in my job. So I had a bit of a portfolio that I could point to, but it, it was really very minimal. And then from there, what I started doing was creating a, a website of my own, going to networking events. Even, this was before I'd even gone freelance. I was going to things in the evening, in the evenings um, after work. And I also, I figured that local agencies might hire me because I figured that they already had a need for copywriting, but often they don't have anyone in-house that does that. So I drew up a list of kind of local agencies on a spreadsheet and, and I would take my laptop to a cafe at lunchtime. I had an hour for lunch and I would walk very quickly to a local cafe and I would sit there and I would call the agencies that are on this list and just say, you know, hi, I'm a local copywriter. I'm just starting out. Do you ever need copywriters? Do you ever work with copywriters? Yeah. And actually I got a few bits of work that way. 
yeah so it's just a, a real mix of things like contacting people directly sending out emails networking and just kind of gradually building things up and how long were you doing that so look, as you were you were clearly in a still in a full-time job doing that in your lunch breaks and in your evenings how long did you go through that phase I don't think it was that long it, it, it wasn't really long enough because I think ideally I would have stayed like that for a while and just you know built things up a bit made some connections really developed a network but so at the same time as as kind of really wanting to step into this new world I had all kinds of problems with my manager and you know her bullying was getting worse I was put on some kind of like special measures <laughs> kind of program you know because it she she wanted to get rid of me but she had to do it you know through the HR system so they kind of drew up like a a plan I had to meet certain targets otherwise they would I was out so there was a lot of pressure kind of coming from within the company and I was desperate to leave so that, that made it very difficult for me because on the one hand I was trying to put on you know trying to at least cre create the illusion that I was keen to work there but I really wasn't you know I, I hated it as much as uh, as much as I didn't really fit there I wasn't happy about it either so yeah so I think it was all coming to uh, a bit of a, a crunch point. And actually, I I managed to, I met, I met a couple of really nice guys, Prem and Michael Bailey, two web designers and developers. And they introduced me to a copywriter called Ellen DeVries. And she was the first copywriter I'd met. So it was really exciting to actually, you know, <laughs> this is the, the kind of career I want to do. And I finally get to meet someone who does this work. And I remember one day I was at work and everything was really coming to a head and I'd, I'd been out for a drink with Ellen and found out a lot about freelancing and was getting more and more excited about it. Things were terrible at work and I rang Ellen and I said, you know, what do I do? What do I do? Like, I really want to go freelance, but I'm about to have a baby and a bit scared. Actually, I was more than a bit scared. I was terrified because, you know, since I was like 16 or 17, I'd been working full time. I'd never been unemployed for all those years, and, and I was like about to turn 30, you know, you, you rely on an income. And always, whenever I'd left a job, I always had another job to go to. You know, I'd never quit a job without knowing what the next one was. And it felt very perverse and almost, it made my stomach turn to think about quitting when I had nothing to go to. So I was, I was very anxious about it. Anyway, I rang Ellen and I said, what do you think? And she said, well, if you don't, make the leap you'll never know if you'll if you'll make it and I thought well it <laughs> that's a really good point so I did something uh, a very uncharacteristic un un for me uh, and took a risk and I think a few days later I'd drafted my resignation letter and um, yeah I was out and so on your last day at that job how many clients did you have like ready to work with again not enough so maybe, maybe two, you know, it was something really ridiculous like that. So one thing I did have, I'd been talking to a couple of local guys who were working on some really big project and they were saying, oh, we really want you to come and help us with this. There's like a ton of work. And so that was one of the things I had in mind. You know, I thought, well, I've got something in the pipeline. And it's probably one of the ways that I reassured my partner that we wouldn't be destitute. But of course, as these things go, that project never happened. It was talked about for a period of weeks, possibly even months. 
one of those things that kept getting pushed back and then eventually just vanished completely. Yeah, so the early days of freelancing for me, you know, it was quite tense and involved a lot of like calling people, going to networking events solidly, just constantly working on my website, like writing blog posts, doing stuff on social media. Yeah, just like kept really, really busy, just pushing and pushing and pushing. And so, by the way, just to put this in perspective, when was that? When did you quit that job? It was about 11 years ago. Did you give yourself a time frame or like how long did it take for you to start to feel a bit more comfortable? I think it was quite a while because I think I had I had a little bit of money saved, but it was it was maybe enough for a, a month and a half or something like that. So it really wasn't very much of a of a buffer, you know, to get me anywhere. So I don't think I really thought about it in in those kind of terms. But I'm pretty sure, like the first few months, it was okay. But then I think I did have a really rough patch after you know maybe in like the fourth month or something like that, and. It, it was so bad. I mean, the, I didn't just didn't have enough work. So I went to a temping agency and yeah, I did, I think just a couple of weeks of temping. But the, the really frustrating thing was that that work, you know, the, the money I was earning and I was doing like ad, I was doing, yeah, I was an admin assistant for the, like the local health protection agency. It was something really obscure and random, but you know, the I think the money I got for kind of, like two weeks work was the equivalent of about two days work of the freelance stuff that I would have been, do I could have been doing. So luckily I think I did, I did a very short spell of temping and then some work came along and that was the, the first and last time that I'd had to kind of fall back on an alternative income source. Yeah. So, it, so yes, there was certainly some rocky patches and I think in the first year, particularly it was always felt a bit kind of tentative and uncertain yeah and then I think you know these things just kind of gain momentum and you know one client refers you to the next and you start to get kind of known in your local area um yeah so maybe it was after the first year that things started to pick up and in that first year as well though you did become a dad so were you working from home when you went freelance? Yeah, for a little while, um, which was really difficult. We were living in a fairly small flat in Hove and it, it was very difficult because and often it wasn't it wasn't because our son was crying. You know, it, it would be because he was laughing and it, you know, it, it might be the only the second time he'd been laughing or, you know, and so you can't sit there and try and do any work when something that wonderful and magical is happening so you have to kind of drop everything and go and see what's going on which is is lovely and it's you know an amazing bit of good fortune in a way that that happened but you can only do that for so long and then you must earn some money so i i'd been i think i'd been volunteering to help a woman called rosie in brighton but she um and she runs this amazing group now called I think it's called Test Bash, and it's a community for people that do software testing. At the time, she had a, a blog about digital tech things that were happening in Brighton, and I'd been volunteering to help her with that. And I was talking to her one day, and she said, oh, we're setting up a co-working space. Uh, I said, that sounds amazing, but I've got no money. And she said, well, you know, come and try out for free. You can, you know, while you get established, you can come and hang out there. 
so that was amazing so I, that really helped i had a place to go to and i i think i i paid minimal rent or no rent for quite a while which was incredibly generous of, of Rosie and the other people. And that co-working space, I'm pretty sure it still exists in Hove. It's called The Works and W-E-R-K-S. And it's, it's an amazing place with a fantastic community around it. And that, that was great because it just meant I, I had a place to go. I met loads of other freelancers. I learned so much from people around me. And I think, yeah, I, I've got some work from people in that space as well. Um, so that really helped that. Uh, and actually, I was there for years in the, the works. Um, so I went from having doing just kind of co-working at a at a desk with lots of other people and then eventually rented my own desk there for a few years as well. So that that was really lucky, <laughs> a bit of luck. And I, but, I, you know, I think with all these things, like I, I attribute it to luck. But, you know, if you kind of look back where that all started, it was because I got in touch with Rosie and I said, you know, I see what you're doing. That's really cool. Can I help? And then that kind of became something else further down the line. So I think, it, which goes back to one of the things I love about freelancing is that it leaves you available. It makes you available for all kinds of opportunities and things that just, I just don't think happen in the same way if you're an employee, you know, if you, well, they certainly never happened for me. I mean, I'm sure they could if you try and you're interested. But yeah, whenever I was an, an employee, I just kind of would go to work and I'd go home and, and that was it. I think maybe there's something about freelancing that encourages you to get involved in, in more varied things. And maybe it's, you know, being out there and visible and available. I don't know. But I, I love that about freelancing. And so work gradually built and built as you got to know more people and word spread and so on. But I notice if I go to your website today that you call yourself Kendall Copywriting. Did, did you always call yourself that? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, it was for a while I had this very old fashioned logo because uh, I, I knew this. I knew a designer. Well, he had been working at the, the my former employer and I asked him to create a logo for me and I think for some reason at the time I'd found some all these examples of really old fashioned logos and I really liked them these kind of like from the 70s and stuff and I showed them to this guy Dan Dan Marsden and yeah I said oh you know I'd love a logo maybe something like this and he designed me this amazing logo um, and and that's what I had to begin with and I found out later that partly because of the logo and also the way I sort of came across online, some people thought I'd been going in, in business for like a decade or more or something. So they, they kind of thought I was uh, <laughs> this kind of seasoned professional, whereas really I, I knew nothing. <laughs> I was making it all up. And so you went as Kendall Copywriting, and, but it was just you. But now I get the feeling at least that you hire other people to work with you. Is that right? Yeah, I, I I think what I try to offer is that we can be an agency. And so in the in the past, I have done much larger projects where we've had uh, teams of people uh, working on big content projects. And I haven't done anything like that recently. So now most of my work is is really kind of just me and the client, which actually I think I prefer. So so, yeah, I still have the the facility and the option to bring in other people. Um, and I still do to a smaller extent with some of my client work. So, you know, if I, if we need a designer, an illustrator, a developer or whoever, then I, I know 
plenty of people and I can get them involved and I can manage that for my clients. So, so yeah, it's, um, and I, I think I was, I was listening to a bit of one of your previous episodes and I can't remember the guy's name, but I think he operates as Wells Park. Yeah. Nick Selfield. Yes. And I think he was saying a very similar thing that it, he kind of looks like an agency, but it's mostly him. Um, and I'd say I'm very much the same thing. And, and actually whenever anyone gets in touch, I say, look, you know, the reality is if you work with me, you're working with me. Um, and if ever I do outsource any of the writing, I'm still so heavily involved in it that it, it may as well have been me because I would brief the writer, I would review it, I would check it to make sure it matches the same standard that I would have produced. So actually, whilst you took on those, you kind of adapted by bringing people on in order to take particular jobs, but have found that actually maybe it's not worth or rather you don't particularly enjoy perhaps managing all those other streams of it. Yeah, I think what I did for many years was uh, you know, clients would come along and say, we've just been working on this website. Uh, it's nearly done, but we need some words. And, you know, they would kind of brief me on what was required. And I would fill in the blanks, whether it was me and a team or, or just me working alone. We would create copy, hand it over to the client. And then, you know, two months later, you might see the website and see what they've done with the copy that you provided. And that could apply to brochures, email campaigns, social media content, whatever the format, the process would be the same, that I would be quite removed from the the entire process. So I probably wouldn't be involved in the strategy, definitely not involved in the execution, have little connection to the results, which I found very frustrating because, you know, you could you could write something wonderful and then the client takes it and they implement it in a maybe in a slightly odd way or miss a bit or, you know, put the wrong thing in the wrong place. And you have to just kind of sit back and watch. And there's no opportunity to kind of say, oh, you know, actually what I intended was that this goes there and then this should be like this. Or, you know, there's no opportunity to adapt your work to better suit the medium and, and the requirements. Um, so what I tend to do more of now is working with clients on a regular basis. So if they need content for their website, um, if they're doing email marketing or social media, I try and get more involved in doing the whole the whole thing. So even you know publishing content, formatting it, sourcing images, just everything as much as I can, because then I can control you know how it appears when it's published, you know every every last detail because all those little details are so important and. Yeah, so I'm, I'm much happier being involved on that basis. And then it means I can see what the results are from one month to the next. Uh, and I can, you know, learn from that, adapt to it, try new things, experiment. Um, and it, it's much more satisfying for me. Obviously, you're so you've you've got a young family, work is picking up, all's going well. But you're also very much into building relationships and getting out there. So at what point did you then decide to create your own sort of community and platform in pro copywriters? Like what, when, when did that happen? And, and what was the thinking behind it? Well, so I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't create it and I, it wasn't my idea. <laughs> no. So that's an interesting one. But before I had anything to do with pro copywriters, I'd always found that there weren't many copywriters around and I would go to all these networking events 
you know, everyone's a designer, an illustrator, developer, whatever, no copywriters. Uh, and it, it would always drive me mad because I would end up, you know, talking to like a cluster of people, you know, Bob and Jane talk about their work, Sue and Harry talk about design. And I, I could never talk to anyone about the words because, you know, even though the people I might meet would, would kind of take an interest, uh, you know, it wasn't their job, it wasn't their work. They can't talk about it in the same way. And I found it so frustrating. And yeah, so I decided that we really needed a, a meetup group for writers. And yeah, so I created a group called Write Club, which we did in Brighton. And, and it also spread to London for a while. It might still be going in London. And it was just a, a very informal meetup for all kinds of writers. Some of them were copywriters and some were um, fiction writers. But it was it was wonderful just to have a chance to talk to people who, who get it, you know, who know what you're talking about, have an interest in it. Yeah, so I, I'd done that. And I also I wrote a book about freelancing, which is called Brilliant Freelancer, which is a, a amazing, an amazing opportunity because uh, I think I'd, I'd only been freelancing for about three years when I had that opportunity. And I did kind of feel like, you know, am I the right person for this? But the, the publisher, you know, seemed to think I was. And I had been writing about my experiences and, you know, the things I was learning quite a lot for various other blogs and publications. So, yeah, I'd spent a long time thinking about A, freelancing and B, the kind of the work I was doing and a need to bring people together and kind of have like a hub for copywriters. Because if you're a designer... Uh, and you look online, there are, there are so many resources and clubs and groups and resources out there for you. But back when I started copywriting, there was just hardly anything. And the few things I could find were either related to advertising or this uh, kind of American style of copywriting, which just didn't really make much sense to me. Yeah. And then uh, I think a few years ago, I actually started, <laughs> I started a podcast um, for freelancers and I'd been doing that for a little while and I also yeah started getting involved in this group uh, the pro copywriters group and started to get really excited about that group and just kind of recognizing the potential of that to really bring people together and they'd been running for four or five years by that point and yeah I started suggesting things to the pro copywriters group and you know proposing ideas and offering to you know, do things for them and, and get more involved. And around that time, they decided to close the group. Um, so the chap who was running at the time is a copywriter called Tom Albrighton. And for him, it kind of run its course and he wanted to back away and, and pursue other projects. And yeah, so just as he was uh, interested in stepping away, I was keen to get more involved and see the group develop and uh, yeah, we managed to kind of come up with a deal so that I took it on. And so when was that? 2016. So it's kind of like a knock-on effect of all of these different opportunities that you've taken up or made for yourself and people that you've met and putting yourself forward. And so pro copywriters today, like if people haven't come across it, can you sort of describe it for them now? Yeah, so I'd say we're... We're a very young and small professional association, and that's our our goal is to really become a fully fledged professional association um, with all of the things that that entails. So 
you know, we're really trying to bring people together so that we can all learn from each other. We're trying to advance our profession, which uh, in many ways means changing perceptions around what a copywriter is, what we do, what we should earn. Yeah, trying to promote better standards amongst ourselves. And um, yeah, so we're primarily in a kind of an online organization and we have a very popular website. We have about um, 850 members. Um, we're also inviting companies to join us so that we can try and bring companies and copywriters together. We also run an annual conference in London. Uh, we have about 200 people each year come along to that. So there's various things we do via our website um, to try and give people um, more of a platform for themselves. So we have an online directory. Our members have a can have a profile on our website. They can also share their articles with us. And we just started doing, well, sometime last year, we started a series of webinars. Um, and these are, they're like mini workshops, but online. Um, and we get various experts and authors to come and deliver a one hour presentation. They're very interactive. The idea being that you can learn something new in um, in your lunch break. So how much of your time does that take? Uh, too much, far too much. <laughs> yeah, an unreasonable amount. Yeah, and th- I mean, this is one of the, tr- the problems I, I think with any kind of endeavor like this is, you know, there's a, a period of time where it's an amateur association. <laughs> so there's a, a kind of an, an uh, irony in our identity and our name because we're a a professional association but we're not run in a very professional way because we don't have a single employee (laughs) which is kind of absurd and kind of I suppose the magic of you know the internet and the modern age that so much can be achieved with so so little (laughs) but we, we we do have Um, some freelancers that do some really amazing work for us. And that's really been, I think, one of the big changes in the last couple of years, particularly, is that we've increased our income. And as soon as we get a bit more money, we bring on more people to manage stuff. So we have Helen Bridal, who's our amazing social media manager. And if you ever need anyone to help with social media, you need to talk to Helen Bridal. Um, And we have Dawn Kofi, who's our uh, web editor. So we get, we get sent loads of articles from our members and then she reviews them and makes sure they're fit for publication. And we also have Joe Robertson, who's our administrator. So she deals with all our, our kind of member queries and, and uh, payment issues and things like that. So we have a, a great guy who does all of the tech stuff, a chap called Glenn. And yeah, so that's been a, a, a real help. And I, for me, that's the... The kind of medium term goal is to bring on more people to manage a lot of the day to day stuff so that because at the moment we we rely on me a lot of the time to to do various bits and pieces. And that's not sustainable. So is this part of your business as you, you know, if you sit there and you look at the way you spend your time and the way you earn your money to support your family and so on, is what you're doing there part of your business? It could be. Yeah. It certainly isn't at the moment. I mean, it it could be. I think it, it needs to be somebody's business because the organization needs to have a paid staff, people that are responsible for the running of the organization and its development and growth. But I'm not sure whether that's me because I, I you know, I love 
the work that I do for my clients and, and, and all the writing that I do. And so I don't know. It's certainly a, it's certainly a big part of my my time and my thoughts and my, you know, my kind of preoccupation. So, so whilst it might not be, you know, forming a, a large part of revenue to your business, does it help your business in other ways? No, no, absolutely. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. Not at all. No, it's the worst. <laughs> no, it's the trouble is I, I don't think you can run something like an entire association, you know, e- even though it's a fledgling association, it's very small. There is quite a lot going on. There's lots of things to to manage. And I think the time that I put into that is the time that I would normally be spending marketing my own business. So essentially, I don't really do any marketing for my own business. And you might think, oh, well, having uh, maybe a kind of bigger profile or being known for something else or known by more people would be beneficial. But it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. It seems to make no difference, which is fine. I mean, I'm not I, the, I didn't take over pro copywriters because I was interested in what it would bring me. But I, I, that's just something I've discovered. I, and I, I suppose it's because people if people do know me through through pro copywriters, then they just see me as someone involved in this organization, not necessarily as a freelance copywriter. I do try and stress the fact that I'm mostly a freelance copywriter because one of the things we've tried to do with pro copywriters is to make it more professional and more organized in everything that we do and how we present ourselves. The the downside to that is that then people think that, you know, we're like a big, big company or a big organization and we have lots of people, lots of money uh, and so on. Uh, and that's just not true. But yeah, it's not, it hasn't really translated into a kind of personal gain or kind of more work or opportunities which is fine that's not really why I did it but um it's it's good to know <laughs> and I'd say it's a it's a warning to anyone thinking that you know a kind of a side project like this kind of thing like any kind of community I I don't know how often that it translates into business because I think these kinds of projects and endeavors are amazing and and definitely worth doing but don't do it for money because it's that just doesn't work and so with everything that you're clearly putting into that and into actually doing the work for kendall copywriting how is your your work-life balance would you say Uh, most of the time it's it's very healthy the past week it's not been so healthy just because i had you know a few different client projects that i'd agreed to and at the same time, there's a, a few pro copywriters things that I'm trying to keep rolling along. One of which is a, a book that we're putting together, which I'm very excited about. And I know a lot of our members are excited about because we're, we're essentially taking some of the 500 articles that have been published on our blog since 2012 and turning them into a book because uh, we, we kind of realized that we have all this amazing advice but it's it is scattered across 500 posts over seven years so finding the right advice amongst all of those articles it can be quite tricky so we're we're, we're um assembling it into a, a kind of a structured flow and putting some order to it so that's just you know one of the extra kind of extracurricular <laughs> projects that i have to think about so yeah this this week i've been doing some work in the evenings but i i think that's actually pretty rare for me i don't do that very often i very rarely work weekends 
I, that's partly because my work involves sitting at a desk and I have a, a very nice desk in a very nice shed uh, in a very nice garden, but it is ultimately sitting at a desk in a shed in the garden. And, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a fidget. I would much rather be out walking around, <laughs> moving, cycling, running, swimming, anything. So I can commit to working Monday to Friday, nine to five, but come the weekend, I'm, I'm done. And is that what you do? Do you go to the shed at nine o'clock and, and stay there for, for, for the day, Monday to Friday? Pretty much. Yeah. Occasionally I, I'm, I, I may go for a run. I think, you know, one day I went for, I went for a bike ride, um, quite into cycling. I have been known to go to the beach when the weather's very nice. So I, you know, I'm not like totally rigid in my thinking. Um, I do occasionally take advantage of the freelance lifestyle. I think actually one of the, the difficulties with a group or kind of an endeavor like pro copywriters is that it's so big you're never done. You know, there's always something else you could do, something to be fixed, something to address, um, a, a new kind of project to kickstart. So I'm, I'm never done, you know, whereas I think if you have client work and, and you're just doing client work, you know, you get to the end of it, you send it, you send it over to your client. What are you going to do? You know, you might, you might do your bookkeeping, you might write a blog post, you know, you might keep in touch with some prospects or something like that. You might do some tweeting, but uh, I think it's much easier to be done and to, you know, really reach a point where, you know, you're finished, but not so with pro copywriters. It's never ending. So it's always on your mind and there's always something to do. Yeah. Which I, I kind of like, I mean, I, uh, you know, there's a lot of, things I really like about that and I like the I think I have quite a lot of energy and yeah I have lots of enthusiasm and I love the I love the project itself you know and I love what we're trying to do and I really believe in it and I really value it so I don't begrudge it at all it just means that there are fewer occasions where I think oh I'm I'm done I'll uh, you know I'll go for a walk it's because there's always something else to do. Okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Leif? Okay, so when I did my GCSE, I wasn't a very good student um, in my school days. And so for one of my GCSEs, uh, I got a grade X. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Um, I didn't know that existed. Okay, a grade X, right? Maybe it maybe doesn't. It, maybe it maybe doesn't. It doesn't. Oh, okay, yep. So I'm, uh, if any of the listeners have done the maths, uh, might be able to work out my age, but I'm 41, but I sometimes get asked for ID still. <laughs> okay. And number three, going back to my school days again, when I was, uh, at school and I was offered the chance to do work experience, I opted to do work experience with the local, uh, refuse collectors. So your work experience when you were at school was as a bin man yeah okay these are good grade x what was the subject you got grade x in i can't remember oh come that's, on that's 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 how that's how bad it was yeah x. it's that Does, bad uh, i mean there's so much hanging here did x exist i thought you was ungraded x it's, I mean, X just sounds like the examiners just put a cross through it. <laughs> well, so on. U is ungraded, but to get a U, you actually have to put something on the paper. <laughs> X is when you don't show up. 
Ah, interesting. ID at 41. I'm now trying to think about your pictures. Do you look, I mean, you do look quite youthful now I think about it. But you don't, oh, how old do you have to be to buy stuff? So you probably have to look 21, even though in this country it's 18 to buy alcohol. Mm, they say 20, yeah, they say you should look, if you look younger than 25, don't yeah, be offended they do. if they ask yeah. for ID. <sighs> you see, I'm feeling very offended though, because I haven't been asked for ID since I was probably 16. So how old do I? <laughs> no, I mean, God, I can't remember the last time I got ID'd. Surely not. 41. And then you were a bin man. I think the thing about being the bin man as work is it. Surely they didn't let you actually move the bins and stuff. And back then, were they wheelie bins? They were more like normal bins, were they? Were you having to move the bins around? I wasn't allowed. No. So what on earth did you do? watch <laughs> watch and hold your nose thinking i never want to do this again i always have massive admiration for the bitman oh god i don't know all right i think it's highly pos do i think you get id'd at 41 that you know what that is possible because shops can get nervous maybe a policy comes down they're like they've got in trouble for it maybe that happens Maybe that has happened if you look particularly youthful. If Let's say we knock 10 years off your age. That takes you to 30. As you say, that's only five years away from 25. That's possible. Grade X, I don't know whether it exists. Bin man seems weird that they would give you work experience that you can't do. But very again, my experience of work experience was that you did very little work anyway because <laughs> there was very little you could do because you were 14. Mm -hmm. So these all seem likely, in which case I don't think you got a grade X. I did. I did indeed. Yeah. I, I skipped town. I left the country. So uh, I got a grade X. <laughs> no. Okay. You weren't a bin man. No, I was not a bin man. I did kind of break the rule slightly. Um, I, you stipulated it had to be something that wasn't even like remotely true. But my, my work experience, I did say, joking, I did say to the teacher, I wanted to be a bin man just to kind of <laughs> wind them up. And just because I was... I was that sort of asshole. <laughs> I was, um, was going to say, <laughs> getting a nice picture of you as a as a teenager now. Yeah, awful. I, I was a postman instead, which was actually a genius move because I wasn't allowed to start at the the proper early time that they really start. But so I would start a bit later, and you know they kind of finished delivering letters by midday, and they would just drop me off at home. <laughs> so all my friends were you know, still at some desk somewhere until five. Uh, and I was back home by lunchtime. So that is genius. Well done. I'm intrigued, by the way, in 2012, you wrote the book Brilliant Freelancer, but obviously we're in 2019. And the world has changed a lot. There's a lot more freelancers, technology has changed. But also your own experience of being a freelancer has changed. So if you were writing it now, like I'm just wondering how much has changed, do you think, in that time, the key things? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know, you know, to what extent, the, the kind of the world, the world of business has changed um, and, and to what extent it's me that's changed. I imagine freelancing is different for everybody anyway. And it, it partly depends on, you know, who you are and what experiences you have and what kind of network you have and, yeah, what sort of background you have going into it. So I, I don't know that I've really seen any kind of bigger like global changes to the kind of the market or this way of working maybe perhaps one change is that freelancing and 
you know, working independently and things like flexible working and working from home only seem to have really grown in the past, you know, 10 or 11 years. Um, and so I think this kind of way of working has just become much more familiar to people. And, and I would assume that means that more people are trying it and, you know, intrigued by it and, and so on. So I don't think I've noticed any, any changes. Have, have you? Oh, I don't know. I just sprung it on you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> although although I, I do feel actually even in the last few years, like even the last two years, the sense of community seems to have become more apparent. The sense of people coming together and helping each other out. But that again, that might just be my own experience of being less isolated with young kids and now going out and finding people. But yeah, it, it just seems that more people now come together and supporting each other but then you found pro copywriters and that kind of thing didn't you and your co-workspace obviously offered that kind of stuff quite early on yeah it did but yes i i would agree with that actually that there does seem to be a lot more going on and there's more groups and podcasts and different communities springing up and and maybe it's a kind of maturing of professionals like us you know who work independently and just means that there's so many of us out there that you know, we, we're kind of recognizing a need for community and uh, some kind of support networks. And yeah, and I think beyond beyond any kind of practical thing, it's just nice to talk to people who kind of get what you're doing, what you're going through and the excitement of it and some of the challenges that you might face and, and all that stuff. It's just, I went to um, a, a conference for it's mostly for copywriters, but there were some other people there uh, called Creative North. And it, it was the, the best thing for me was just having a chance to meet other copywriters and, and people that just know what a copywriter is and does. Yeah, it's just it's so important, I think, to have these chances to talk to people who, you know, who, who are like you, uh, at least in the work that they do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. And I'm glad to see that this is the trend and i hope it, it continues now if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance what would that be i don't know it might be around just trying you know just having a go because yeah i think i i was very wary about leaving the security of a job and i mean i've thought this before but you know if you just because you have a job doesn't mean you're going to have the same job in a week or a month i, I know plenty of people that you know, their jobs have just evaporated overnight because of problems in the company that they knew nothing about. And, you know, uh, being freelance is, is, of course, not necessarily secure either, but at least you know what's going on. You know, you know what's on the horizon. You know when there's a problem. You know when you're having a, a good spell or a, or a bad time and you can do things to correct it. So, um, yeah, maybe I just tell myself to get started a bit sooner I, I did really languish in some really dead-end jobs <laughs> for far too long so it would have been nice to <laughs> yeah just break free of that but you know uh yeah that's probably it 
Leaf, thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com and you can find out what Leaf is up to. You can find links to find him online, but his website or like Pro Copywriters and the copywriting conference that we were chatting about as well. All links are at beingfreelance.com where you'll also find loads of other episodes. Remember, it doesn't matter what they do for a living. It's all about the being freelancer. Check them out. Make sure you've hit subscribe and sharing the podcast. There's also videos, articles and the community. So you can, since we were chatting about that, you can come and join the Being Freelance community. There's a link at beingfreelance.com and if you're a freelancing parent don't forget the other podcast i'm involved with is called doing it for the kids an extension of the doing it for the kids community myself and frankie answering your questions each week so search for that if you like podcasts and you're a freelancer and you think you might have kids or you already do it's called the doing it for the kids podcast and i'll see you over there as well but for now leaf thank you so much and all the best being freelance wonderful thank you steve it's been a pleasure 